The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. Welcome in. We're going to be talking this morning about something that's very interesting. We've never talked about this particular topic before. Attorney Brandon Bass is with us with the law firm of John Day. And Brandon, good morning to you. Good morning, Bart. How are you doing? Doing great. Good to have you with us today. Thank you so much. We're going to be talking about what happens when you go to a trial. What what happens on that? And we're going to go one, two, three, four from the beginning to the end so that if you end up in that situation, it won't be a surprise. You know, I watched a lot of legal TV when I was a kid. I watched a lot of Law and Order and things like that. And um, There's parts that they get right and parts that they get wrong. I think the the trial experience is, is unexpected for a lot of people based upon what they saw from my cousin Vinny and things. <laughs> See, that's not accurate always. <laughs> it, it, it's not completely accurate, but it's not completely out of the pale either. Well, and I think a lot of people are uncertain sometimes uh, what they should do, uh, and, and if they're not the one who initiates the, the trial itself, uh, how, what, first of all, what determines that there's going to be a trial versus not being a trial? Certainly. So my experience is primarily in civil lawsuits, meaning one person suing another as opposed to one person's getting charged by the state to potentially go to jail. So most of my experience is in, in that realm. Um, before you actually go to trial, there are a whole lot of steps in most cases. Uh, in TV, they call it small claims court. We have an equivalent of that here in Tennessee. And those cases basically may be filed in, in a courtroom in, within a month or two. So that, that would be the not the norm. But if you have a small dispute with somebody, somebody, you know, broke your lawn gnome and won't pay for it mm -hmm. you don't need to go to the big court for that so for small cases it may be a matter of just showing up and everybody uh puts forth what they want the judge to hear and the judge makes a decision so the, you don't have a jury don't have a jury in small claims court it's the whole idea is they're going to eliminate much of the costly parts and much of the tests to figure out whether a lawsuit is valid or not basically just put the cards on the table but the judge can't make anybody pay more than $25,000 in small claims court. Um, and then, again, it's called general sessions here. But that is different than every other courtroom in Tennessee. In most cases, before you actually go to a trial, there have been a year, two years, sometimes five years or more of a whole lot of fighting, a whole lot of questions to be answered and things like that uh, before it ever goes into a courtroom. The idea being, not every case needs to go in front of a jury. People file a lawsuit, a lot of times they think, well, this should be tried the next week, but a lot of them can be filtered out. Or somebody may say, uh, I'm gonna prove this, and the judge may look at the file after they've had the opportunity to get papers together and interview witnesses and things and say, well, look, there's no reason for us to drag in 12 folks from the community, send them some summonses and make them serve on a, a jury, take the day off, off of work, uh, when there's really not a fight about this issue, we can just deal with this this way. So after a year, two, 
what have you, what have you, depending on the nature of the case and how diligently everybody in the case has worked, then you finally do go into a courtroom and um, start the process of a trial. So it takes a good while to even get to that point. It absolutely does, and, and for good reason in much of the time. Um, in most cases, not both sides don't know everything. Each side has some information, some documents, some pictures, access to land or access to cars that were involved or what have you. And for a while, you're exchanging that. You go through the process of asking other folks, you know, tell me everybody you know who witnessed that this event or who might be important to testify about this case. You get the opportunity to interview them as well. You gather all the data, essentially. And then there's a part of time where you're going in front of the judge and saying, here's the data we have. We think we're ready. The other side may say, we don't think we're ready. We've got to get some more stuff done. Um, so it can take a little bit of time. And as I said, it's, it's a matter of diligence, but also the complexity of the case. Um, if you just got two people in a car accident on a rural road with no witnesses, that's a big difference from a, a major event in the middle of 20 or 40 other witnesses and all sorts of, uh, you know, this day and age, there's surveillance cameras all over the place. Gathering all that can take a whole lot more time and a whole lot more discussion with the judge to figure out what the trial should actually look like. That's part of it as well, is the judge deciding, is there anything special we need to be doing about this trial? Um, in order to make it as efficient and fair as possible, as I said, you got people, uh, a minimum of 12 in most cases, bare minimum of six, who are getting called in from town, all over town, and having to spend the day, two, three days, sometimes weeks, in the courtroom. So the judge wants to make sure that they don't spend any extra time they don't need to. Now, let's look at uh, how do you choose a jury? Is uh, The Bull Show a pretty pretty good example? I've never watched that. Is it good? Okay. It is, I like it, yeah. Uh, I guess that because that's the one example you have. I'll have to check that one out. I've heard good things. So I can't comment on Bull in particular, um, but everybody's... Very scientific. Really? Which makes me think it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you choose a jury? The, the formal process is... It's basically like this. You you get, you know, 20 or 30 people from the local community. The court does a random draw and says these are the 20 or 30 people who are going to be there that day, and you bring them all in. Then it's up to the judge. Most judges have a, a, one of a few systems to figure out how it is that the lawyers in the case can ask questions of the prospective jurors, right? So you got 30 people in the room. Are you, which ones are you going to talk to at which times in order to figure out whether there's a reason for this person to be on the jury or not? For example, there's some uh, flat rules. Like you got to live in the community for a while before you're allowed to serve on a jury with, I guess, the idea being somebody could move across the county line just for the purpose of serving on a jury to taint the results. I frankly don't know how that would ever work where you could, uh, A, find property and move on to it that quick here in Tennessee anymore <laughs> and B assure yourself you're on the jury list and you get picked for that particular case but there's a, a residence requirement there's a few requirements you got you got to be able to, to uh, understand English if folks are testifying in English and 
You don't want a juror who sits there and says, I have no idea what just happened over the last three days. I couldn't understand a word anybody said. So can they serve is the initial question. But then also there's questions that the lawyers ask. Is this a fair person? You know, there's a basic stuff that says, well, look, have you, is this your cousin? The other side, the person we're in a lawsuit with, if that's the juror's cousin that they've known since they were two years old and, and they've spent every Sunday having uh, fried chicken at grandma's house with, they probably don't need to be on the jury for a fairness standpoint. All right. Uh, they're just a little bit too, hitting a little too close to home for that. So person. if you don't ask the right questions, that could happen. Absolutely could happen. Now, those are some basic ones. Usually somebody will stand up, one of the lawyers stand up and say, do you know anybody over on this side of the room? Just point out which of us you know, and then we'll ask you how you know them. There's some basic stuff you look at there. Then you also look at questions like, does the jurors or prospective jurors' life experience make it so that they would already be leaning one way or another before they heard a single word, right? So take a car accident case. Right? Somebody's getting sued for a car accident. If a prospective juror lost three loved ones in a car crash themselves, they're going to be, it's going to hit home. It's going to hit close to home for that person. So the person getting sued may not want them on the jury. You're looking for information like that saying, look, if, if I got to pick between you and whoever's behind door number three, do I want you or do I want to go behind door number three, that, that old game show. Um, so we're gathering information that way and seeing basically, is this somebody who looks like they can pay attention over the course of the case, over the course of the trial? And is this somebody who seems like they can be fair to both sides? Um, now we all, I'll tell you right now, we all think we can be fair at any given circumstance. You, you put me up for just about anything um, and I'd like to think I could be fair, but I'll give you an example, Bart. Um, you know, there's there's wet barbecue and there's dry rub barbecue. Mm -hmm. and, and I got to say, you can tell from my belly, I like them both. <laughs> I, I'm happy to have any ribs. Uh, but there's a real big difference. And as much as I like dry rub ribs, I grew up on wet barbecue. If you put me in as judge of a barbecue contest, I, if I'm on the... If I'm one of the cooks getting judged, I feel like I'd like to know that in advance. So looking at people's life experience, even if they'd be just a little bit leaning towards the other side, because you might put the best dry rub on the left and the best wet rub on the right, or even close to best, I'm probably going to end up choosing the one I grew up on, the wet rub. We're looking for the same thing from the jury. Basically, if all else is equal, if if everybody is believable and everything is as close to a tie as possible, is this? Are you going to feel like it's a tie? Or are you going to feel like, well, I'm leaning just a little bit more towards the other side? And the lawyers want to know. The people in the case deserve to know. Does that mean that they're uh, playing from behind the eight ball, basically? That they've got to go a little bit further to convince this person than they might be for somebody else? What the lawyers do at that point, judge passes around a form and says, okay, write down which jurors you don't want to see again, which jurors you want to send home. And the judges have the different processes for it, but it's sort of a silent ballot. Lawyers fill it out and say, send John Smith home. I don't have to give an explanation or anything else, but something Mr. Smith said during all these questions 
gave me a bad feeling about the guy. It made me feel like he might not be as fair as whoever's behind door number three. Then the judge will pick somebody else random to sit in John Smith's seat and usually got to live with whoever that somebody random is. And the judge also has a say. The judge has a say on those big, are you qualified to serve as a jury question? I serve as a juror question. Do you actually live in the county? Or did you move away from the county before this trial? So, you know, when you filled out your, got your last driver's license, filled out your last government paperwork, you were listed here in Rutherford County, but, but since you moved over to Williamson County. Mm-hmm. You don't live here anymore, you're not on the jury. So the judge has a say at the start in sending anybody home who's not qualified. And then the judge also has a say in sending anybody home that demonstrates that they couldn't be fair for whatever reason. So when I'm asking questions of prospective jurors, I'm listening for a few things. I'm listening for that part of, do they say something that says, well, wait a minute, you just can't do this. No, no matter what comes in, for example, go take a, a, a slip and fall at a store case. And if a prospective juror comes in and says, um, I just don't believe that anybody should ever file a lawsuit, and I don't believe that anybody should ever be paid money for being hurt, but we're all responsible for ourselves. And whoever, if, if they were hurt at the store, even if the store owner just slicked the floor down on purpose, I just would, I would not be able to make that store owner pay. Well, if that's the case, the judge may say, then you got to go because the law is that's how we decide these cases, right? Then, you got so you got a the judge kicking anybody out and saying you can go home because you're not qualified you don't you're not from around here b you got the lawyers asking and the judge sending people home because they say i judge i don't care what you tell me i don't care what you tell me the law is i just i think it's perfectly fine to run a red light I, i'm never going to hold anybody responsible for for running a red light because I do it myself every day. The judge is going to say, well, you need to go home and you need to learn to drive. Okay. <laughs> and then the third thing, the lawyers get a list and uh, everybody in the case, for the most, it gets a little complicated math, but you get a few people you can send home without a good reason, right? Just because they gave you a bad feeling. So there's a few, you get a few to sit back and say, uh, this person says they can be fair. But man, everything they're saying just sounds like the minute they get a chance, they're going to go ahead and decide the case for the other side. Everybody in the case, though, has their own, uh, we call them strikes. They get their own strikes. I get to strike out juror number three. They're going to strike out juror number six. So it works out evenly. But that way, the ones who technically say, well, I'm, I'm from around here. I live in this county. And sure, I can be fair, but boy, I cannot wait to rule against you. Can be sent home before the trial begins. We call it choosing a jury, but we're really choosing who's not going to be on a jury. We have a, a question here from a listener who says, I just recently retired. I've never been asked to be on a jury, but I would love to be. How can I be selected? Uh, you got better odds than you do with the Powerball, but it's the same system. It's just a lottery draw. Um, and, and I appreciate those folks who say that they would love to serve their, their constitutional requirement. It's the, one of the first things we put in the Constitution for both the United States as well as the state of Tennessee is juries are the ones who decide what happened. 
So it's important. It's important role, but there's no way to put yourself at the front of the line. Um, as much as I can appreciate, and I think the judges and everybody else around would appreciate the desire to give back to the community through that service, you can imagine the potential for abuse if it was a matter of people showing up and saying, no, I really want to be on this jury today, Judge. <laughs> I really want to be on this jury. That's the time when you will get somebody's second cousin who's been best friends with them for years and who might have who might have had a little bit promised under the table to say, well, if, if I win, I'll take you out for steak. Now, here's a question from another person who has been uh, not necessarily on a jury, but in a court. And he says, I've already been to court and have a judgment. Uh, how do I go about collecting it? It's about $1,000. Uh, what do I do? That's an excellent question, and there is no straightforward answer. How you collect on a judgment. So a judgment is after you've, quote, unquote, won at trial, after the if there's a jury, they said, we think this person should pay. And after the judge has said, I agree, or without a jury said, I'm just going to decide it myself. Judge fills out a piece of paper, marks it down, sends it over to the county clerk. And then it's for all time. It's a record saying John Smith owes Jane Doe a thousand dollars or what have you. How you collect on that though is, um, there is no straight answer because it depends on who you're collecting from and what they have. Uh, if they got no money in the bank, then you may be going by to get lawn tools. You can't go get them yourself just because you got a judgment against somebody doesn't mean you can break in their garage. So there's a whole process to get the sheriff involved. There's a whole process. If they don't have lawn tools, they don't have money in the bank, then you may have to sit back and say, well, I'll tell you what, when they sell our, if and when they sell their home, I want a thousand dollars of the proceeds myself. I want to get a, a lien, just like a bank would get a mortgage. I want a lien. I want to hold part of their home. So can you get that in advance before they sell it? Before they sell it. So it's so it's noted in the court file. So if anybody shows up trying to transfer that property, when somebody goes down with a deed and say, I just bought this property, the court clerks can say, well, somebody needs to have paid a thousand dollars or that's not your property. They got to get rid of this judgment lien on it. So there's a whole host of methods to collecting upon a judgment. There's, I'll tell you as well, sometimes I just list it off, for example, if they got money in the bank, there's a way to go get that money. Um, but you gotta know where the bank is. We, we don't all walk, fortunately, we do not all walk around with a name tag and a badge that says, I bank at Regents and here's my account number. So you gotta know where it is. There's a process even for finding that out, for making the other side tell you where their money is and where their assets are. Um, and then some folks just aren't worth anything. You know, some folks just aren't, aren't, aren't worth the paper that the judgment is printed on. And then you just got to sit and hope that they do win the lottery so you can take the money that way um, to get what you're owed back. What the best I can tell you is um, that's the kind of thing to hire a local lawyer for um, to figure out or you could probably do a little bit of internet research for that purpose, but um, if it's more complicated than I know, if you know right where the person has a thousand dollars and you know exactly what they can pay you from, then you might be able to get some internet research on having the sheriff enforce the judgment for you. Um, but if you don't know where it is or how you're going to actually get the money or how the person's going to pay you, then I'd encourage you to hire a local lawyer to, to go through the process. Cause 
I'll tell you, there's a big difference between getting my neighbor to pay, who's for one thing I know where his lawn tools are, and getting Shell Oil to pay, figuring out what property they own and what properties in a, in a quote unquote Shell company or overseas. Like figuring all that stuff out is not always straightforward. Now, do all local attorneys do work like this? It's called judgment collections or um, debtor-creditor law. Uh, no, not everybody does, but you can always ask for a recommendation when you call somebody. A lot of the same folks who do bankruptcy work, for example, because it's in the same sort of realm. We know how much is owed. We're not fighting over whether you owe money. We're fighting over to figure out how you're going to pay it. Same sort of thing as in bankruptcy court. So a lot of the same folks handle that. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. We'll be back and continue the conversation. We're looking at a court case and how does it all happen. And we're just getting started, too. <laughs> Stay with us. Thanks, Mark. Your Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders are ready for another run at a bowl game title. The 2021 Bahamas Bowl champs open the season at home on September 17th against Tennessee State with Western Kentucky coming to town for homecoming on October 15th. Come see all five games in Murfreesboro this fall with season tickets starting at just $99. Visit GoBlueRaiders.com slash tickets to purchase. GoBlueRaiders.com slash tickets. Middle Tennessee, we are Blue Knighted. Are you tired of constantly spending money on sprays and other things to control mosquitoes around your home? If so, come by Holden Hardware and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. When used properly, the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators will kill mosquitoes. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. This year, make mosquito control easier and cheaper. Come by Holden Hardware on the square and get the Spartan Mosquito Eradicators. By growing up in the restaurant business and being always around it, it was just something that was just second nature to me. I didn't realize the amount of work that was involved in it. I, I didn't understand and appreciate all that my parents sacrificed in order to provide for us. And now I'm very thankful and, I, and I'm very appreciative of the foundation that they laid for me so we could teach others to create what they have done to make it more of a legacy than just a passing of the torch. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We have an excellent sound room with good acoustics. If you want to try out any guitar in the store, if you've got a perfect place to listen to it, compare them side by side, see how the neck feels to your hand, which is important to a guitar player. We have keyboards to play, a room in the back for drums to give a run through with cymbals, snares, whole sets. Come in Music World and Drummer's Den and try out before you buy it. Music World and Drummer's Den. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon, high around the mid-80s. Northeast winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear, low near 63. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 61. 
Good morning. Still a little bit of stop and go action coming down uh, certain parts of Middle Tennessee Boulevard this morning. Nothing too unusual. Inbound lines catches Pike that's picking up 24 westbound, running a little bit heavy up through the Hickory Hollow area as you head into uh, that section of Antioch. We also saw some slow traffic on 840 westbound at 65 as you head towards Williamson County. Hey, Ripley's is hiring for all 10 attractions. Check them out online at ripley's.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. I'm Ken Coleman. Join me here on News Radio WGNS weekdays live at noon as we answer your questions about your calling, passion, and talent to maximize your potential. Welcome back. Our number six one five eight nine three fourteen fifty. We're talking about. What happens when you go to court? 615-893-1450. Attorney Brandon Bass is with us from the law offices of John Day. And we've been talking a little about uh, what happens uh, before the trial. How does the jury get chosen? And then uh, what the judge and the lawyers are doing away from the jury when they're, uh, when they're not with the jury uh, and they're away from them. Are, are they doing stuff uh, quietly? Or are they? Well, what's going on? Sure. Anybody who served on a jury, especially if it was at a trial that lasted more than a day or so, there's probably a time where the judge said, "I'd like y'all to leave, go back to another room," and, and the lawyers and the judge are going to sit and talk. Or the jury's walked in, and every time the jury walks in, all the lawyers and everybody in the case and the judge are all standing at attention, waiting. So there's, there's some action behind the scenes, so to speak. Uh, some talk that is just for the lawyers and the judge that the jury is not involved in. Uh, the reason for that is there are a lot of questions about how a trial should be handled. And sometimes lawyers can argue. We, we can argue about a whole lot of things and we can argue about how a trial should be handled. Give you a, a straightforward example. For all the rules that exist in the law, uh, I mean, you've got law libraries full of rules and regulations. There is one called the rule. The rule. The rule. It's lasted. It's the rule. And the rule is that somebody who's going to testify cannot come into the courtroom until they do. They don't get a sneak preview of what everybody else had to say. Um, so lawyers may argue over the rule and who's allowed to be in the courtroom. It's a, an evidentiary rule. The idea is you don't want one witness's testimony to be tainted because they heard somebody else describe the event. You don't want one person who didn't see what color car was involved in a crash to suddenly pipe up and say, hey, you know what? I heard that person say it and, and I do think it was a red car. You want fresh memories from the individuals. So, uh, for everything we do, I, I don't know when it got the name The Rule. I I would hazard it was even before we had an English language, and it might have been back to Roman times, because it is The Rule. The Rule. Well, arguing over whether somebody's going to be called as a witness and stuff is one thing that the lawyers might do. They might get in a little bit of a dispute about. And that's not something for the jury to hear. That's nothing for the jury. Or I'll give you another example. Uh, people, a lot of folks out there have been arrested once or twice in their life, whether they did anything wrong or not. 
Just because somebody got arrested doesn't mean they did anything wrong and it doesn't mean they're a bad person forever. Okay? So there are a whole lot of rules on when lawyers are allowed to talk and when witnesses are allowed to talk in court about criminal charges. And as you can imagine, a lawyer who wants to paint a witness as a bad person or an unreliable person usually wants the jury to hear, well, listen, you were arrested. But if they were arrested 25 years ago because back in high school they didn't get home from curfew quite on time and it turned out that they, the police officer's watch was just wrong, they were just fine, that has no bearing whatsoever on the case and would turn every case into a sideshow. And also drag people's names through the mud for no good reason. So, one of the things lawyers and judges will sit and talk about is, should the jury hear about this time Johnny was arrested back in high school? It may be important to the case. And if Johnny says in court, listen, I've never been arrested. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I've I, I got a clean record. I've never even, I've never had a cop look at me crosswise. Well, now it may be important to come explain to the jury that Johnny's unreliable because he's just lied on the witness stand up here even if we otherwise wouldn't talk about it. So when the judge says, we call the jury out, when the judge says, need to excuse the jury for a minute for the lawyers to talk amongst themselves and with the judge, it's about all kinds of stuff like that. It can also be as simple as this. When you go into trial, most lawyers try to keep the list of documents, the stack of documents that are gonna be handed to the judge and passed out copies to the jury to kind of a minimum, but I'll tell you over the course of a case, we'll have bankers boxes or these days, megabytes and gigabytes and terabytes of papers, medical records, police records, videos, all kinds of stuff. You don't necessarily want to go drag people into serving in a jury and say, by the way, here's 12 bankers boxes. Y'all figure this out. You sort of want to say, these are the important things to take a look at. Organizing that stuff can be challenging. We try really really hard to keep it as organized as possible and to get where everybody's on the same page you want to send back for example a medical record well bart if you've ever been to the hospital for more than a day or two if you ever looked at your records it's not a piece Maybe. of paper yeah. yeah so making sure everybody says wait what are you sending to the jury it's this page right here let's match it up and make sure that everybody sees the exact same piece of paper and we didn't accidentally send them the wrong one or we don't go off talking about a piece of paper the jury's never heard. So some of it is arguing over how the trial should work. Some of it is talking about what the jury should hear and what would turn the whole case into a sideshow. Sideshow's a big problem when that happens. And then some of it is, we gotta get all these papers straight. <laughs> we gotta we got figure this out. Or, uh, I tell you, it can be as simple as judge, we were planning to call Dr. Jones he was coming to come in here to testify this afternoon. Turns out Dr. Jones has now got to go into surgery for a patient, so we're going to need to shuffle some witnesses around. Can we have a little bit of time to get a different witness in place so we can make this jury the best use of this jury's time? Makes sense. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're on WGNS with Brandon Bass. Uh, yes. I'd like to ask a question, please. Okay. Okay, sir. If you have a preliminary hearing, uh, uh, is that? Are you talking into the phone? You're sort of muffled sounding. Yeah, I got my radio on. Okay. What I'm saying, if you have a preliminary hearing, isn't that preliminary hearing 
it's like the lady sitting up there dictating the report everything you say. Are you ever supposed to lose that? Isn't, isn't that important? Uh, so a preliminary hearing. Thank you so much, ma'am. A preliminary hearing is something that occurs only in criminal cases. And I'll tell you, I don't spend any time over in the criminal courts these days. And, and um, uh, it's not part of my wheel well. Uh, as I understand it, you said there's a lady typing up everything that's being said, meaning that's usually a court reporter. That's somebody. Right. Who, yeah, that's somebody who gets. Are you ever supposed to lose it? Aren't you supposed to, in, in case you have to come back in court, you can go back with that, right? I would want to hold on to it for the exact reasons you're thinking of. If somebody comes in later, one of the witnesses who testified at a preliminary hearing, if later at a trial the witness changes their tune, you'd really like the piece of papers from the court reporter that says, well, before you said the light was red and now suddenly it's green, and those are very, very different things, aren't they? Um, I'll tell you, as lawyers, that's... That is much of what we're doing in advance of trial is gathering all that data. I talked about all that information, which includes this is what this witness has said in the past and what I can use against them in a court of law if they change their tune now. Um, the law also is court reporters have to sign those. It's called a transcript. They have to sign it at the back. And they sign it with some special language in there that essentially says, I swear under my duty to the court and to the state of Tennessee that what I have typed up is accurate to the best of my observation, right? right? So do you want to keep a copy of that? Yes. Now, do I expect everybody who's ever had any case ever to have copies? I mentioned if somebody- I'm talking about in the court supposed to keep that. Is the court supposed to keep a record of the preliminary hearing? Uh, I would not expect that to occur. I don't know how every judge handles that, but generally it is up to the lawyers and the people in the case to keep that. They have to order a copy from the court reporter. The court reporter is there to type it up. Um, uh, a lot, Most of the time the court reporter has to be paid, has to be ordered in advance and paid, but you also have to pay them to actually type up their... The way they type is the weirdest stuff you've ever seen, and their actual real-time notes, if you ever look at it, is mumbo jumbo you couldn't read it whatsoever and it's always wrong so you have to pay them afterwards to go through and type that mumbo jumbo into plain english and what people actually said then you got to buy a copy of it from them and it can cost a few hundred sometimes thousands of dollars depending on what they were how long they were there and what they were there to record a lot of times for example they'll charge more if it's a a case with big words if they have to sit there and if they have to type out uh, artho <laughs> atherosclerosis every time because it's a medical malpractice. If they got to type out that stuff and make sure it's spelled right, sometimes they'll charge more. To answer your question, then, most judges do not get and do not keep a copy of the transcript for every hearing that they've done. For the most part, it is up to the people in the case to buy them if they want them. So well, um, that depends on that person. If that person has to go back in court, then they can go back and get that. It's like my son has been locked up for like 18 years, and I may never see him again. And he asked me to get a copy of his preliminary hearing. And when I go to get the preliminary hearing, they say that they don't have it. And, it was in 2005 and 2006 
So when I called her to the salon, they gave me a copy. She said she had also the preliminary hearings on there. But when we listen to it, mm-hmm. it's only one. So it, to me, if you got one, then you should have the other. I can't tell you for sure, but it, it is unsurprising to me, ma'am. And, and I, I'm sorry that you uh, you spent so long apart from your son. Yeah, I can't imagine what that feels I like. He was done un, and, I, and I really think he was unjustly treated, too. And they also sent out and got a lawyer from East Tennessee. And, I, and why would they do something like that when he was a resident from Murfreesboro? Well, I don't know, ma'am, but I will tell you... Um, it, it would be surprising to me for the judge or the local court clerk to still have a copy of a transcript from a couple decades ago from a preliminary hearing. They have so many of those things, preliminary hearings occur, that I it, a lot of times the judges never have a copy. It's the folks in the case that keep a copy themselves in, in case they have to argue about something. Because they got... They've been doing preliminary hearings for decades, not just 18 years ago, but uh, since not long after Tennessee became a state, and it would be impossible for them to keep papers going back that far to for every single one, especially sometimes there'll be a whole lot of preliminary hearings just in one day. Is there a good place she should check, or is just too much time has passed? Um the lawyer who represented it before represented the son before may have a copy tw- eight, 18 years ago you know i don't remember if the world was paperless 18 years ago or not if we were sending stuff by emails um uh but the lawyer may have it if you can find out who the court reporter was there's an extreme off chance that they have it but there is nobody who is required to have it hopefully that helps you ma'am I hope that helps you. I, I think she's gone. Okay. Okay, our number is 615-893-1450. We're going to pause, and then we'll be right back. Stay with us. Have you been getting most of your money advice from your brother-in-law? Maybe you need Dave Ramsey. The Dave Ramsey Show, 1 to 4, on WGNS, Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Let's learn about Adams Place, the area's premier senior living center. We're talking with Terry Deal. Adams Place has a full calendar of events uh, in each of our different levels of care. We may be playing cards or board games of some sort. There are going to be entertainers that come in. Socialization in the dining room is a big event. It's an opportunity to get together with a number of your friends and just kind of talk about the day's events. So anytime there's an opportunity for us to be able to have a party, we're having one of some kind. What if you want to have friends over who don't live here? You really are not changing your lifestyle. You're changing your address. 
and if your lifestyle still includes friends coming over to play cards or to have a social event with you, it's part of your lifestyle, and we want that to continue. Selling your home, downsizing, can Adams Place help us accomplish that? We're partnered with a couple of different companies where they can come in and help you with the downsizing process itself. They'll help you pack, they will arrange the movers, they'll help you unpack, and then they'll help you set up the decor according to your desires. This is Terry Deal. Would like to invite you to come visit with us at Adams Place. Just give us a call, 615-904-9111. We'd love to show you around our beautiful community. My heart was racing just making spaghetti. I could have waited to tell my doctor, but I didn't wait. I was short of breath just reading a book. I could have delayed telling my doctor, but I didn't wait. They told their doctors and found out they have atrial fibrillation, a condition which makes it about five times more likely to have a stroke. If you have one or more of these symptoms, irregular heartbeat, heart racing, chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, or lightheadedness, this is no time to wait. Contact your doctor. Brought to you by Bristol-Myers Squibb and Pfizer. Dak Prescott here. Why do I choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because better sleep elevates my game. Only my Sleep Number 360 smart bed helps me fall asleep faster, keeps me cool, and effortlessly adjusts for my best sleep. The result? 28 minutes more restful sleep a night. That's more focus, more edge, and more highlights. And that means more wins for all of us. Don't miss the final days of the biggest sale of the year. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. This is Rutherford County's Blue Raider Station. FM 100.5 and 101.9 AM 1450. WGNS Murfreesboro. Welcome back. Brandon Bass is with us this morning with the law offices of John Day. We're going over what happens when you go to court. What actually happens? Well, we've been talking about uh, when the judge and the lawyers go away from the jury. What are they talking about? And let's look now at uh, how they decide what evidence is allowed and what evidence is not allowed. I mean, evidence is important. Yeah, evidence is, is obviously the key to a case. Every juror I've ever spoken with has always said, that's what they want more of, give us more data. Um, frankly, not, nobody really cares or wants to hear the lawyers giving too many impassioned speeches. They want to know what happened. Uh, but there's some stuff that just isn't allowed to come in. Um, give you an example. You got a five-year-old witness who says that car was driving 127 miles an hour. They're too unre- yeah, you're already nodding. They're too unreliable. <laughs> How does a five-year-old yeah. know that? What miles an hour is? <laughs> so, and in, my, in the miles an hour part now, that's just way outside the bailiwick of a five-year-old. Right? So there's some stuff that you got to show a basis. you got to show that you, you know enough about the world and about what you're talking about to guess at. Now, can a five-year-old say the car that passed was yellow? Probably. I'd hope my kid would be able to do that. I wouldn't want to put him on a witness stand and have to go through it, but probably. So there's some stuff that we call expert testimony. It's basically if you're saying more than just what you observed, if you're saying what you could figure out. If you're saying what you could figure out, then you got to have some special basis for it. Otherwise, just say what you specifically saw and let the jury figure it out. The judge will listen to the arguments of the folks uh, the lawyers in the case and decide whether or not somebody should be allowed to give opinions like that. 
even if the person does have really, really specialized knowledge, if you get a, an engineer, bring in an engineer from uh, University of Tennessee, the greatest university in the Southeast, uh, you bring in an engineer from there, and they come in and testify, and they want to testify to something that makes zero sense whatsoever. We got a whole system in place that says you can't just make up your own science. <laughs> Okay, you can't just come in and say, well, listen, I, I've done the math and I've come up with my own formula. And because it was on a Monday, the defendant must be wrong. Right? So the judges have an entire system and a bunch of factors that they consider stuff like, well, has anybody ever put this in a book before? And is any, would any other engineers say that they've read it and agree with it? So the judge has a bunch of factors before they'll let anybody come in and, and say on, if you watch Law and Order like I did when I was growing up, you'd hear them say, uh, chain of custody a lot. And the chain of custody can make a difference. If, if you got the police that says, well, we drew blood from this person, and based upon the blood draw, we believe that we, we ran it through an analysis, we sent it off to a toxicologist, and it came back and it says that this person was intoxicated, but when they were behind the wheel. That all meets the whole, well, you got police officers, they're supposed to know how to do the blood draw. Toxicologists are supposed to know how to analyze blood and the numbers may match up. All that matters. But you still got to look at the chain of custody. If the police said, and we, we drew the blood and then we put it in a box with everybody else's blood we'd drawn that month and then we just got it out, we figured this one, there were about 100 vials in there, we just grabbed one and we said, this is probably from that guy. The chain of custody is so bad, the judge is going to say, you're not going to get in front of this jury and say you just scrambled up their blood with a hundred other people's and you're guessing that this test you did was right. So the chain of custody can matter. Um, all that stuff goes in. And, and I'll tell you what I, what, um, I always heard growing up was them say hearsay and I never understood what that meant. That part's pretty straightforward. Generally speaking, you can't come into court and testify, well, Johnny told me this. The idea is, well, then get Johnny up on the stand and have him tell the jury so the jury can look Johnny in the eye and see whether Johnny's telling the truth or whether he's kind of a little bit, a little bit off and shouldn't be believed anyway. So hearsay is just saying what somebody else told you or what you read in the paper or somewhere. You're supposed to go to the horse's mouth. There's some exceptions to that. Um, for example, um, uh, what a patient told their doctor, when a patient goes to the doctor for the purpose of the doctor giving, getting them treatment, then we sort of assume the patient's probably going to be pretty close to telling the truth because they're trying to get better. Uh, so what a patient told their doctor is one thing. For example, the doctor can come in and say, well, Johnny told me his, his knee wasn't working that day because he'd fallen down the day before. Um, so there's some stuff like that, but generally we have a whole host of rules called the rules of evidence that set out what's fair for a jury to hear and what would be misleading. We have about a minute and a half in our program left. Would it be expected that most attorneys would go over this information with their clients so they would know what to expect in the case? I think an attorney should explain to the client how a trial is gonna work because frankly, you don't want to walk into a courtroom and just be bewildered about why the judges, why people are standing up, sitting down, who's who, the, you know, figure out where people are going to sit, who's going to say what. 
And by the time we go to trial, if a, if the lawyer's done their job, then there aren't a whole lot of surprises. We know before walking in, we tell we can tell the jury this is what you're going to hear because we've already done all that fact gathering. Then the judge will have said, "We're not going to let you talk about this stuff. All the evidence we talked about keeping out." The judge will have said that, and the attorney's got to tell their client, "Don't you open your mouth and say this because the judge is going to going to have at you if you do it." But in terms of all the the extra stuff, uh, there's some parts that you just got to leave to the lawyers to do the process right, um, and it's not fair to put on the the people who've hired the lawyers to manage a trial like a lawyer with a good experience would. Now, before we leave, uh, tell us where the law offices of John Day are located. We've got offices uh, here in Murfreesboro over on Medical Center Parkway right by um, St. Thomas. we got office over in Brentwood. Um, we got an office over in Nashville on the northwest. I don't know what counts as the northwest side of Nashville anymore. It just keeps it growing. But over on the west end kind of area. Very good. And just uh, give them a call Please for do. any help. Thank you much. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Bass, a local attorney with the law offices of John Day visiting with us. Stay with us. Much more to come right here on your good neighbor station, WGNS Murfreesboro. See you tomorrow.